0: From the Library of Congress in Washington, D.C.
1: Welcome to From the Catbird Seat, a poetry podcast from the Poetry and Literature Center at the Library of Congress. I'm Ann Holmes, the Center's Digital Content Manager. And I'm Anya Kreitney, the Center's Programs Manager. In this three-part series, we're revisiting some of U.S. Poet Laureate Tracy K. Smith's travels around the country as part of her current project, American Conversations, Celebrating Poems in Rural Communities. Last spring, Tracy traveled to rural communities in New Mexico, South Carolina, and Kentucky as pilot visits for the project. Over the next few weeks on the podcast, you'll get a chance to hear from Tracy and the people and communities she met along the way. On today's episode, we're following Tracy's travels around New Mexico, which was the first stop on her rural tour last January. So Anya, you traveled with Tracy to New Mexico. Can you talk a bit about this project and its significance for you?
0: You know, the Tracy's project really fits in line with my thinking about poetry anyway. And what I love best about poetry and what I th- think it does best and what it should do best is be an art form for everyone and not just an exclusive group of people. I I get tired of poetry as, see, as being seen as erudite and fussy and removed from our daily lives, that it's tucked away in some attic somewhere with fancy words and complicated illusions. I'm most moved by poetry that helps clarify my being in the world, my understanding of human connection and collaboration. When I think about the moments that I've been moved by poetry, I can imagine myself sitting and reading a book, be it Walt Whitman or Louise Glick or Don Lindy Martin. I mean, there are countless others, but I think about the way the world sort of quiets down and it's just me and it's the page and I feel very moved, but also simultaneously very connected to the world at large and, of course, to the author. But I feel that I'm being given this special gift, really. Someone has taken time to clarify, to examine their lives and uh, the complicated business of being in the world. And so I know that poetry can do that work because it's happened to me. So I, I just knew that as we went out on the road, that the same thing could happen for other people. It's just a moment. It just requires being in the room with a poet or with a poem. And Tracy is, is so articulate and attentive And has this sort of quiet magnitude that I knew that once people were in the room, they would open up. And it's what happened.
1: Yeah, thank you. So I also know that this trip was special, too, because New Mexico is your home state. Um, So not only were you traveling with Tracy on her first pilot trip, but you were, you know, in a sense showing her part of yourself and part of where you grew up. Can you talk a bit about that?
0: New Mexico is a really beautiful state. It's a place unlike many other states in the U.S. It's the intersection of quite a bit of culture, Native American culture. There are 19 different tribes in New Mexico alone. It's a large state. Most of its population is in the center of the state in Albuquerque and in Santa Fe, so it had, really has rural pockets all over the state. Its geography and topography is quite special. It's a high desert, so it has this, you know, quite a bit of altitude, which means that it's really hot in the day and cool at night. And there are these beautiful vistas. There's a gorgeous mountain range called the Sandias, and then there are also dormant volcanoes. It's littered with national parks. The sunsets and light is really special. And it's historically been a bastion for artists. It's been a place that historically artists have landed, be it in Taos, New Mexico, or in Santa Fe. It's a place where artists feel welcome, either the low cost of living, the welcoming communities. People are Interested in 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 hearing what visual artists, writers, what these contributors have to say. So I couldn't be more excited to show um, Tracy, my home state, and any friends and family who haven't visited New Mexico because it's a it's a unique place.
1: So you talked a little bit about. New Mexico being largely rural. Can you talk a bit about where in New Mexico you and Tracy traveled?
0: Sure. We traveled to three places, really. We flew into Lubbock, Texas, and then drove to Clovis, uh, New Mexico, to Cannon Air Force Base, which is sort of central New Mexico, but very much due east. It almost borders Texas. So that's where we began our journey. And then we drove due north to Santa Fe to visit Santa Fe Indian School. Santa Fe is the capital of New Mexico. And we rounded out the trip by going to Santa Clara Pueblo, which is just outside of Española, New Mexico. So f- even further north, about an hour from Carson National Forest.
1: Great. Great. So you mentioned Cannon Air Force Base was the first event that Tracy did. What was that event like? Who was in the audience?
0: It was a great event. Uh, It was a poetry reading, and Tracy read poems from *Wait in the Water, which is her most recent book, Life on Mars, which is her Pulitzer Prize-winning book, and then she read a few poems by other notable poets. Um, Tracy spent quite a bit of time discussing the poem Second Estrangement by Aracelys Gramai, and a few others that ultimately became what is now American Journal, 50 Poems of Our Time. And that book uh, ultimately was co-published by Grey Wolf Press and the Library of Congress. But at the time, these were just poems that Tracy loved and knew would have a, have a resonance for anyone who's interested in poetry. It was poems that are relatable and, of course, beautiful and and. Their craft is excellent and, and, and successful as poems in and of itself. But she knew that they would have a real relevance for, for an audience member. So she read these poems and then asked sort of a simple question, which is, what do you notice? And it's an easy question. It's, it's non-threatening. And it really allowed the audience a way in. You know, the audience were comprised or was comprised mostly of airmen. Which I should say is also a gender-neutral term, so that's men and women, uh, some spouses, and also some support staff for, for the poetry reading itself. I'll also say that the the audience was shy, then they were talkative, and as as Tracy began to to prod under the surface a bit, people felt more comfortable bringing in their own. Associations, their own life experience, and suddenly we were having a conversation about what these poems enacted and what they brought up. And, you know, before the poetry reading began, we had lunch with a group of airmen in the cafeteria, and you could tell people were hesitant, nervous, you know, what does the poet laureate do? the Library of Congress seems fancy. Does being in the Air Force and in the middle of New Mexico, you could get a sense they were thinking, do, do I have anything to do with these institutions or with poetry? What can it possibly say about me? And everyone was very polite, but you could tell we were sort of eating our food in different zones, if you know <laughs> what I mean. You know. And then when we got to the event itself, you sort of saw some of that slough away, and it was just people in a room Exchanging ideas, and Tracy, even as the event moved along, felt more comfortable really asking people to dive deep into the Mm -hmm. poems themselves.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, great. So I know you and Tracy also had a chance after the event to talk to some of the airmen and some of the folks in the audience. I know you spoke with Ben Salazar, who's a field representative for Eastern New Mexico, serving under Senator Tom Udall. Can you talk a bit about his relationship to the event and maybe a bit about Senator Udall's relationship? Sure.
0: Tom Udall is the senator for New Mexico, and he really is a fan of the Poetry and Literature Center and of the laureateship. He's been a champion for our office. So, Senator Udall came to Tracy's opening event here in Washington, D.C. And then they had lunch afterward, and it was clear that Tracy was interested in New Mexico, and certainly Senator Udall understood Tracy's mission as a steward for poetry. And, of course, he wants Tracy to visit New Mexico and sort <laughs> of the full circle uh, mission here. So it all seemed to some come together in a beautiful fashion. And then my being born and raised in New Mexico just really sort of sealed the deal in a way. And his staff really helped put this trip together. Uh, David Williams, Josh Sanchez, Michelle Cavanaugh, and you mentioned Ben Salazar, who is his field representative for Eastern New Mexico, were all part of the organization and orchestration of the event itself. I uh, chatted with Ben at the event itself, and he's really... Hoot. He's a really dynamic guy. He's boisterous. He feels passionately about Cannon Air Force Base and about his corner of New Mexico. He really feels that Cannon is a representative, a sort of global representative. um, And it's a sort of microcosm of what goes on uh, in the rest of the world, either in the military or or the world at large, really. I mean, he shares with me how big a project Cannon Air Force Base is. People come from all over the world and here they serve together all at once and people from different backgrounds, different languages, different life experiences, and they have this one central project that they share together. So he really helped elucidate uh, what it is Cannon Air Force Base attempts to do and then brought home how Senator Udall relates to the state itself and to the community that he serves.
1: Well, let's listen to part of that interview.
0: I want to hear more about your, both your work as a field representative mm-hmm. and then also what you think, if poetry or literature can help us have conversation that you think is difficult or conversation that... Um, has yet to happen, Mm -hmm. or if you think even that conversation needs to or does or is already taking place at Canon, I'm wondering what you think.
2: Well, I think number one is the idea that, um, you know, the one thing I've always loved about Canon is that the diversity of the people. Yeah. Uh, And and so I I think we need to understand that although we're a rural community, I think we have to understand the fact that personnel from Canada are global.
0: That's right. Uh,
2: and so we have to think in global terms of not only providing programs mm-hmm. uh, why we, how we initiate conversations, mm-hmm. uh, the idea of uh, someone coming from up east and, and coming to Canada and all of a sudden seeing this rural community with all this vast space. Right. Uh, explain to them the idea of not only how we agriculturally grew up, but mm-hmm. culturally, um, and the idea that, that this is how we saw um, growing up mm-hmm. uh, and more often than not what we'll find is that you um they're very simplistic uh, approaches on how we all grew up. Mm-hmm. Uh, we all grew up mostly with, with uh, you know, with very, very strong values. Right. Um, you know, all went to a certain church if we lived in a certain neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've always believed in the fact that if you really look at humanity in terms mm-hmm. of a very, very open-eyed approach, yeah. we really have more in common than we have apart.
0: That's right. I agree with that as well. Yes, yes. Well, and Canon seems to be a place that could prove that. Oh, absolutely. You know, you have pl- people from all over the world. Sure, and of absolutely. course, you come together and sure. you have these shared values. And of course, then you're sharing this one big project absolutely. of course and everyone serves as an airman yes so you know it seems like it just rife with opportunity to, to speak across the table about about all kinds of oh, absolutely um, richness and depth sure. and and ways in which to bring each other together and i think at its best poetry and and even literature can do the sure. do the same thing it can be yeah. a vehicle
2: to absolutely. have to have that conversation absolutely. Absolutely. yeah yeah one of the things that i admired about tracy and we were talking about before she started reading was the idea that when I go talk to students and and uh, and and visit with them about writing, right. I, I explain to them is that you know. Start out with your first project writing about something that you're very familiar that's with. That's right, something and, you know. And, and so, so what's, what's, and when, when Tracy said that, you know, this is a, a poem about my dad, you know, it, it just related to the fact that that's exactly what we were talking about. Mm-hmm. And, and once again, it goes back to the idea that more often than not, all of us were pretty much raised in the same manner. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it, and it's just the whole idea that, that I, just, I just look at the fact that my dad taught me a long time ago that if you if you understand that there's always a humanistic value in why somebody is approaching you in a certain manner or 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 talking about something in a different manner, understand the human aspect of it first before mm-hmm. you start passing judgment. That's right. And and you shouldn't pass judgment anyway. But try to understand that person as a human being first. Right. And then and then proceed from there. And more often than not, um, you'll find out that sometimes um ignorance is really not wanting to admit that there's a lack of knowledge. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then on the other hand, for me as an individual, not to be afraid of the fact that I have no idea what you're talking about. So I'm willing to learn.
0: Right, right, exactly. Well, it seems like a good tool for empathy.
2: Absolutely. Yeah, exactly, exactly.
0: Well, it's been a pleasure talking with you. I don't want to keep you you too much later. Oh, no problem. We're almost at six here. I know you have to add to Boogie. But we're just so thankful to be here, and we're so uh, happy to sort of start our pilot incarnation At Canon. Oh, absolutely. We went to lunch earlier today at the um, um, uh, cafeteria, essentially, and Tracy said, maybe this should be the the project. Maybe we should just go from base to base. So it's just, I mean, everyone has been so kind oh, and clearly uh, knowledgeable mm-hmm. and um, sure. fascinated by what it is that they do. And, sure. and it was a delight to see the planes today. Oh, that was really, it's well, really, it's sure. really been a pleasure sure. to And be I here. think
2: that's the other thing that, that we have to take into consideration when we're dealing with the human aspect of right. cannon air force base because of the mission yeah. that cannon fulfills. Um, you know, there are there are avenues by which, as a community, mm-hmm. we have to provide those avenues yeah. that release that stress of That's the mission right. that they serve and, and the idea of being away from home and right. and, and how do they embrace an, an, a, an agricultural community when they're not used to it. Right. Um, and then so, so from a community point of view, um, you know, I will stress the fact that that the, we need more programs like this, right. that, that we need to develop more programs to where there's a, uh, a joint project between the, the, the uh, community and, and Canon. Uh, because once again, is that, uh, you know, valuable ideas are shared ideas. And, and, I, right. and I think that, that we have a lot to share among each other.
1: I agree. I agree with that. Well said. So Anya, listening to this interview again, many months later, what's your takeaway? What are you thinking about? Well, you can hear how
0: dynamic a guy Ben is, he's full of life. um, And his enthusiasm really comes forward. It, It is what I remember about about Ben. And it makes me think about this idea about a rural community being a microcosm of the world. You know, we often talk about urban centers, not rural centers as being a sort of mirror to the rest of what's going on around the globe and Ben really rejects this you know he says this corner of New Mexico be it small is just as reflective of all of the successes and difficulties and complications of the rest of the world and I think that's valuable I think that has to do with this project and I think he encapsulated that idea really beautifully Uh, and I like how he talked about linking poetry and Tracy and his his family lineage it seems to say he knows that art can illustrate how complicated and complex and intricate our lives are and that that happens all over the world that that type of communication is a one-to-one exchange Mm -hmm. and I think that's moving.
1: Yeah, that's pretty powerful. Yeah. I know you also had a chance to interview some of the airmen who came to the event.
3: Um, my name is Adam Christodos, uh-huh. a Senior Airman in the United States Air Force.
1: And what do you do here at the base?
3: Uh, currently I work in the wing protocol office. Uh, mm-hmm. We greet all the DVS, the uh, distinguished visitors, to the bay, mm-hmm. show around, mm-hmm. give them a little taste of what we do around here. Mm-hmm. Uh, originally, uh, aircraft mechanic, mm-hmm. uh, com-nav for the C-130Js, <laughs> and the navigation and communication systems for those aircraft. Mm-hmm.
0: So, how did you find Tracy's event, or how did how did what what did you notice being here and having gone to the luncheon, or did, did anything stick with you?
3: Um, it was when I first heard about Miss um, Tracy Smith. Uh, yeah. I had never, I had no idea that Congress had that kind of position, or that right. they had someone assigned to that duty. And it, was, it was a bit of an eye opener, you know, seeing yeah. like, wow, well, like they care about things yeah. that aren't just about pushing the budget or this right. and that. So right. it's very cool that they appreciate the arts yeah. to that level.
0: Yeah. So
3: and then listening to her talk and talk about what she does, and then listening to some of her poetry is, yeah, it's pretty amazing to see that it's not just what you hear about in school, like, right. you know. Like we talked about earlier, like Dr. Seuss or something just rhyming and moving along with haikus and all that, but it can be anything you want it to be. There's no rules per se, so right. anyone can do it. Yeah, right.
0: exactly. Did the poems help remind you of anything or,
3: um, or
0: help you feel like have, have a specific emotion?
3: or? Uh, definitely, uh, not necessarily.
0: Or that you want to share anyway. Right.
3: Not necessarily had uh, empathy towards, but I did understand uh, the first part, I forget the name of it, but when it talked about um, her father's past. Yeah. Uh And I loved it. the visual she used to describe space and what it could be. Yeah. And I've, I'm a big science fiction nerd so it's like yeah. kind of cool that she used those kind of visuals and uh, symbolism to like, describe what her interpretation of life and death yeah. and the world we live in was, I mean, there's so yeah. little that we know it's pretty cool to get a different perspective like, and just on the words. I you're so used to movies and shows and all sorts right. of different media but to just hear someone's imagination put it on paper and right. still create such a vivid picture <laughs> that was, yeah. that's what yeah. Yeah. Well
0: that's well put. I like those poems because I think they they use Pop culture references, yeah, things I that everyone that sort of exactly. understands, do you, do you to talk, talk about you know? something that is sort of unknowable mm. and difficult and painful. Yeah. Yeah.
3: exactly. really enjoyed that. Or that yeah. Too, I'm yeah. I'm a bit of a movie buff, so seeing those references right. tied in, it's like, yeah. oh, this is. You get, you get it. Well, and also it
0: seems like, it's like oh, you can do that in a poem. Mm. Yeah. Like, yeah. I think, like, there's yeah, a point yeah, where it's, it's like, oh, I didn't think, like, you could talk about contemporary things. Or I didn't think.
3: poetry has to be, like, super deep or. Right. We're doing super uh, on its own. Right. We're not allowed to draw from other inspirations. Right, well. right. You listening to her talk. I was like, wow, yeah, you can yeah. You use whatever you want. You, you can know? be anything. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, and then it all counts. Like, it all comes together to be one big picture, yeah, exactly. which I think is really fascinating. Yeah,
1: yeah. Well, thank you for sharing with us. No, no problem. So, Anya, what does listening to senior airman Chrisudos make you recall? Well, first, how
0: kind, attentive, and professional Adam was. This is a young guy. He's in his early 20s. He really was the glue that, that held the event together in a way. He got us to and fro, and it was clear he, he's destined for great things. I really was moved by how he was willing to talk about his own uh, life experience. You know, it's not in this clip, but Adam mentioned to me a little bit about his family, and he talked a little bit about his father, who also served in the military for 23 years. And I like to think that Tracy's poems from Life on Mars, which engage her father's passing as seen through the lens of space and time travel, I like to think that that, those poems sort of opened up a portal to Adam and to his father's legacy. And, you know, these people who haven't met each other, Tracy, Tracy's father, Adam, Adam's father, they are sort of linked together um, in in this special moment. And I think that life is like this. It's associative and intimate and nonlinear. I couldn't be more thrilled Mm -hmm. with, with Adam's experience at the event.
1: Yeah. After leaving Canon and Clovis, you all drove about 200 miles northwest to Santa Fe and you spent a day at the Santa Fe Indian School. Do you remember what that drive was like?
0: Yeah, the landscape changed very profoundly. You know, I'm from Albuquerque, so I spent the bulk of my time in Albuquerque and and a good chunk in in Santa Fe, I haven't spent a good time in the central part of the state. And I, it's been, I don't know how many years since I took a road trip from one part of the state to another. So it was moving for me to see how we started in Clovis in this flat landscape. I mean, there's cotton growing in, in Clovis, New Mexico, which I don't, I don't associate that crop with New Mexico. So it was really moving to start in this flat terrain and then slowly gain elevation. And and here you see the landscape, the topography changed, the 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 plant life became drier and and the terrain rockier, and suddenly it felt more along what I recognize um but it was moving i mean it was clear you could see why people are attracted to new mexico why they there's a lure to the landscape and people feel encapsulated or or moved when they're out in the open open area and tracy felt similarly i mean i think she we talked a bit about the quietness the stillness and this desire to write poetry in that mode
1: after your long drive, you all ended up at the Santa Fe Indian School. Can you talk a bit about why you all traveled to the Santa Fe Indian School and how the day progressed?
0: Sure, it'd be my pleasure. Our, our trip to Santa Fe Indian School was magnificent. The school itself serves approximately 700 Native American students between grades 7 to 12. It's both a boarding school and a day school. So for those students who board, they stay overnight. They live on the campus throughout the week. And for those students who are nearby, they attend during the day and then go home in the evening like a quote unquote traditional school. Santa Fe itself is not a rural location, but students are traveling from rural locations, either for this day school or students come from all over the country to go to this school, this this magnificent school. It was originally founded in 1890, and it was really meant to be a residential school with a charter to quote-unquote assimilate Native children into Euro-American culture. So it has this dangerous or upsetting history, but this school, like others of its ilk in the late 19th century and then um, even later in the 70s, really, through all of these passages, the Indian Self-Determination Act and the Educational Assistance Act, tribal leaders really gained the authority to govern the school themselves, to take control of the education of their own children, and Now the school itself is turned over to these 19 Pueblo tribes that I mentioned earlier in the podcast. So the governors of these Pueblos, these 19 Pueblos, are tasked with running, essentially, this school. And of course, it has a whole host of faculty and administrators and a superintendent and and a whole bevy of social workers and so on and so forth. I mean, it's a really beautifully staffed and and run school. But I think what's so unique is that these governors are then in charge of of the students here. I mean, there's a direct correlation. And so students from their own Pueblos then come to the school and and there you are.
1: Great. And what was the day like at Santa Fe Indian School? How was it structured?
0: So we started with a student luncheon with about 25 students who are interested in poetry. And we sat in this adjoining room to the cafeteria. And they well students welcomed Tracy and Everyone ate, and we students discussed their passions, and Tracy even signed some books. It was an opportunity for a little one-on-one interaction and for Tracy to feel welcomed by some of the staff there. After the luncheon, we took a quick tour of the campus, and followed by uh, reading and conversation with about 100 high school students. So we all packed in this beautiful room. And Tracy, again, read poems from Wade in the Water, a couple poems by Evel Ewing, and again, Arselyse Gramay. And then students fielded answers to these open-ended questions, similar to canon in that way. The students were eager and, and inquisitive and smart and really thoughtful. From there we visited one specific class uh, Miss Christina Moser's eighth grade writing class so if you think of the morning as being the high school component then the afternoon was was sort of the middle school component and Tracy did something similar she read a series of poems and asked some questions and the students were particularly shy, they were really reticent to open up. Perhaps it was their proximity or maybe their age. But Tracy really stuck in with them and even asked them at a couple times to write a poem or two. So we had a couple brave souls who shared what they wrote and on their teachers probing were eager to to chat with Tracy. So so that was fun. Mm-hmm. And then the day closed with a sort of meet and greet with the superintendent, Roy Herrera, and a whole cohort of teachers, administrators, and, and, and coaches.
1: So what sticks out to you about that day at Santa Fe Indian School?
0: I thought it was a really emotional day, a moving day. You know, the students are motivated and talented and eager The support systems in the school itself are just tremendous. The the facilities are really quite impressive. The dorms down to the library, the activity center, the art studios, you know, the students can even take classes at a local institute or the local Institute for American Indian Arts, which is really a college. So... There are clubs based on your living arrangements, uh, if you're a boarder, or also just your interests. It's clear that the faculty and staff are dedicated to making sure that these Native children get a world-class education. And as someone who's lived in New Mexico all their lives and whose family has taught in various pueblos in New Mexico. It's just thrilling to see Native children blossoming and happy and supported in such an integral and wholehearted way. It was moving to hear so many faculty and staff talk so capably about their dedication to their communities and to this mission of serving children it was it was quite profound Mm
1: -hmm, mm -hmm. you close the journey with a trip to santa clara pueblo i also understand that it was a feast day can you describe what the visit entailed
0: so feast days are religious holidays that are celebrated each of the 19 tribes across new mexico and each tribe has its own schedule of festivities And my understanding is that feast days traditionally include dances and cultural activities specific to each of the tribes. And as the name implies, it's an opportunity for the community to gather together amongst each other and share with each other. You know, feast days are not usually open to the public, and the dances that take place throughout the day are considered prayers, So it's a real privilege to be invited to a Pueblo on a feast day and to witness these these dances as they are being enacted uh, in in the community. And Santa Clara was no different. The governor, Michael Chavarria, welcomed us at at the Pueblo and to his home, as did Senator Udall, who was able to join us that day, and his staff member, Joshua Sanchez. Governor Chavarria was such a kind host. He introduced us to his whole family. He welcomed us to his table. He introduced the importance of the feast day and gave us the background on Santa Clara Pueblo and its history, the strength of its its Pueblo. And then of course, Tracy talked a bit about her project and her goals, um, what she attempted or wanted this project to yield. And it was a real a sweet moment there around the table. Tracy got to try some food she hasn't, some common New Mexican food, but also some food special to Santa Clara Pueblo and got to have a sense of what this real feast day entails. It's it's unique privilege. And after that, we went to see a dance. Uh, Governor traveria was so kind um, as to direct us and of course to give us access and you can ask Tracy, but I know she was moved. It's really hard um, not to be at a feast day and feel thankful for being able to see this dance. And it feels as if you are participating in, in something special, though we as outsiders didn't in, understand the entire significance. It, you feel reverence when, mm-hmm. you're, in, when, you're, when you're there. Mm-hmm. So
1: Great. Thank you so much for sharing those details. Before we wrap up today, I wanted to go back to something you mentioned earlier on in our interview, which is the anthology that Tracy edited, American Journal, 50 Poems for Our Time. At the time of these pilot trips last year, the anthology was not yet a physical object, but Tracy was using these poems throughout the tour. How do you think the poems helped spark discussion?
0: I think the poems helped the audience members risk opening up. Tracy chose the poems that now comprise this book you're mentioning intentionally in part because they're all contemporary authors, they're all living, um, they all hail from different parts of the country, and the poems she chose, while they're all varied and illustrate different elements of craft and attention, they are relatable, they're penetrable, um, they say something about our experiences. Americans in this moment. And I think people related to that. I think that helped people open up and tear a little bit of the, you know, the top layer off and risk a little vulnerability in sharing. And, you know, I think the response proves that there's a hunger for poetry in all corners of the nation, just like we suspected. And I think it proves that poems are a response to the world and to human interaction, and that they're not some sort of closed-circuit literary conduit that, you know, is for a specific group of people. I think it, it proves that poems are real and relevant, and, you know, if offered in the right way or it, with an open either heart or energy or whatever it is that you believe, you know, if offered in this way or, or approached in this way, their energy can really vibrate off the page. people mm-hmm. people are interested in learning more about each other and and I think poems are a good opportunity to do so.
1: Mm-hmm. You and Tracy also recorded a few audience members at Canon reading some poems from the anthology, including Arasolise Gerrmay's Second Extrangement, which I know was was one of the poems that Tracy used a lot in some of these events. Uh, Let's listen to Nico Wood reading Second Estrangement, which is the poem that opens the anthology.
2: My name is Nico Wood, and I'm going to be reading The Second Estrangement. Please raise your hand, whomever else of you has been a child, lost in a market or a mall, without knowing it at first, following a stranger, accidentally thinking he's yours, your family or parent even grabbing for his hands, even calling the word you said then for father, only to see the face look strangely down, utterly foreign, utterly not the one who loves you, you who are a bird suddenly stunned by the glass partitions of rooms. How far the world you knew, and tall, and filled, finally, with strangers.
1: Thanks so much for joining me here today, Anya. It was my pleasure, Anne. Can you talk a bit about your takeaways from New Mexico as we wrap the episode?
0: First and foremost, it was fun. It was a successful trip. And I think Tracy was in awe of New Mexico, as I hoped and suspected she would be. I think we accomplished what we had set out to do. We visited a large swath of the state uh, as we were working with a committed member of Congress who is a senator, and which has sort of allowed us to see the whole community with which he served, so the entirety of New Mexico, really. And it was great that we felt he was a real champion for the value of poetry and a real champion for the value of art in New Mexico. And I think it helped us create a workable model for what officially launched American conversations in its next year. And I have to say I think New Mexican's, uh, I'm sorry, New Mexico's open attitude and its views and its even stillness really helped foreground what this project became and help cement this idea of exchange and that I think is so central to American Conversations. Thank you, Anya. You're welcome, Anne.
1: And that's it for today's episode. Thank you for joining us on From the Catbird Seat. Join us next week as we follow Tracy K. Smith's visit to rural South Carolina. To learn more about American Conversations, visit the project online at read.gov American Conversations. You can purchase the anthology, American Journal, 50 Poems for Our Time, online at the Library of Congress shop. And as always, you can learn more about poetry past, present, and future at the Library of Congress at loc.gov poetry. Stay tuned.
0: This has been a presentation of
2: the Library of Congress. Visit us at loc.gov.